Friday afternoon means health and well-being with uh, health naturally rather with Dennis Stewart and Dennis. So before we jump into sinus complaints, mm, mm. I've just got to bring you in. All this morning we were having a yarn about your first paycheck and how much it was, and what you spent it on. Now I reckon you would have been on an absolute packet in the late fifties oh, when you started absolutely, working. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, well, to start with, Mark, uh, paychecks were non-existent then. Mm. Um, when I started work in that most auspicious learning institution, Cardiff <laughs> Workshops... <laughs> you would have learned a few as, things there. Oh, it was the greatest learning experience of my life. When I started work there, you were paid fortnightly, mm. and the pay man would come around, and he would put your, your money in your hand. It was doled out to you. Oh. And you're not going to believe this. Even when I uh, moved from um, a tradesman to, uh, to a trainee engineer in Sydney in the Chief Mechanical Engineer's Design Office at Wynyard, the same procedure prevailed. You had the Chief Mechanical Engineer lining up with humble little (laughs) undergraduate engineers like me to get paid in the hand cash. But I remember my first pay, I think, don't hold me to it, I think it was what we used to call six quid. Wow. Now, people won't know what a quid was, but basically (laughs) six pound. And that was the fortnightly money that I got and of course half of it went to my dear mum and dad so you basically garnished about a dollar fifty per week if you're lucky if you're lucky (laughs) Dennis you're better get into it look sinus infections it's that time of year now I guess sinus is suffered by many folk and frequently it's treated by antibiotics so I guess firstly what is sinus and what does natural medicine offer as an alternative look I'll try to keep it simple and first of all every one of us is going to get a cold and get the sniffles what we're, what we're talking about is not that. We're talking about that wretched condition that many people suffer where the upper respiratory tract, the sinuses, um, become inflamed, infected, and set up a great degree of pain and discomfort and headache and which frequently sees people going from one course of antibiotics to another course of antibiotics. This is sinusitis inflammation of the sinuses. Don't confuse it with what's called rhinitis, which is hay fever, uh, blockage of the nasal passages, which can be an accompanying symptom with uh, sinusitis. But sinusitis is an infection of the sinuses characterised by severe pain across the forehead. I'm keeping it simple. Mm. Perhaps some nasal discharge, a lot of pain, swelling of the sinuses, and frequently, as I've said, leads to antibiotics. But Tragically, Mark, many people suffer chronic sinusitis, never break out of it, and so they are constantly going on to courses of antibiotics, uh, courses of ephedrine and pseudoephedrine, uh, nasal sprays, as a means of trying to, to beat this thing. And, and that's valuable. What I mean, if you're experiencing an acute episode of sinusitis, you need to see your GP. There's no doubt about that. But I sincerely believe, based on my reading, my research, my lecturing and my practice and my knowledge of natural substances, that one can build up a resistance to recurring sinusitis. One can build up a preventative program. Okay, so we definitely want to talk about that. But yeah. I, I love we're splitting to hay fever. Mm. Like we know that's when there is a substance in the yes, air that, that triggers you. So with the sinus, what causes that? If it's not a hay fever type situation, what actually causes it? Well, well it's, it's an infection. Mm-hmm. And the infection is frequently a, a byproduct of, say, an episode of a cold or a flu um, that the virus can trigger off. Uh, a biological reaction, a, a bacterial infection 
can assert itself in the upper respiratory tract as frequently a viral infection will trigger off a bacterial infection of, of, of the lung or the bronchi. So where we're talking about rhinitis, and look, I'm being very simple here, and a lot mm. of ENT blokes will be laughing their head off at what I'm saying, <laughs> but with, with rhinitis or hay fever, it's more, if you like, allergically based. In other words, an environmental uh, allergen such as a pollen can trigger it off. Um, eating something can trigger it off. Um, but that's more associated with blockage, uh, difficulty in breathing. Um, not so much pain, but a lot of discomfort. But when you come to sinusitis, there you're talking about the sinuses, the tubular structures that, if you like, are associated with what we call the upper respiratory tract. And they're the condi- that's the condition that is a nightmare for many people. I think it's interesting when you mention it can be a byproduct of mm, a cold. Mm, so in mm. a sense, it, it's something that you can catch. Uh, yes, well, no. Something can trigger it off. Yeah. Something can trigger it off. But see, if you are experiencing chronic sinusitis, mm-hmm. you could argue, you could argue uh, that the sinuses are in, in, a, in a state always of low-grade inflammatory activity which can then be stimulated to a full-blown episode of sinusitis with all that goes with it, infection, post-nasal drip, pain, swelling, all those sorts of symptoms. And some people, some people go from one episode of sinusitis to another, from one course of antibiotics to another course of antibiotics, and reluctantly uh, the GP will prescribe this, but sometimes they have to be given my approach in this system of medicine is to say, is there anything that has a reasonable basis of lessening the episodes by doing something preventatively? And that's where complementary medicine, particularly based on herbs and supplements, has a valuable role to play. It's not alternative medicine. I rarely, rarely use that term, Mark. Mm. Um, it's, it's in fact trying to help conventional medicine battle many of these diseases and battle it from a preventative basis. Okay, so you mentioned that there are some are some some uh, things in natural medicine. I just went to use the term alternative, but I, I, we're not going to use that because you'll, you'll look at it. Oh, look, it, it's, it's a term that's debatable. Yeah. Um, I think a lot about it. Um, years ago when, when I started, it was a very popular term to use. But at that stage, there was a lot of antagonism between mainstream medicine and natural medicine. Um, but... Sometimes you could argue that there is an alternative treatment. For mm. instance, if a person has a skin condition such as a, 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 a chronic eczema, you could argue that an alternative treatment to corticosteroids would be, say, a topical application based on, on the extract of licorice. So, and that's frequently carried out in my practice with the so-called GA cream. But what we're talking about here is something quite different. We're talking here about preventative medicine, harnessing what we know, harnessing what we know from an empirical basis and also from a clinical and pharmacological basis, what there is in natural medicine that has the potential to improve the health of the sinuses and lessen the infection. Alrighty, we'll come back and have a look at some of those uh, herbs that, uh, Dennis, you've got ready to go in your nice mm. big green herb-like book Lovely book, there. Botanical Influences of Illness by two great American writers, Melvin Verbach and Michael Murray. And, Dennis, let's get into some of those uh, natural things mm. that a natural medicine can offer to combat sinus this afternoon. And, look, it's pretty important that listeners out there who uh, have sinus take on board this three-pronged approach mm-hmm. because I'd be very surprised 
if they took it on and it didn't work. It will work because I prescribe it and, and use it and I understand how it works. There are three principles involved. I'll go through the three major remedies that can be used, which can be accessed from our good health food stores or from our pharmacies. The first most important substance to address chronic recurring sinusitis, in my opinion, is an enzyme extracted from the pineapple and it's called bromelain. Now, it's well known, it's well documented, there are hundreds of papers that have been written on it, and I challenge people that have access to the net to look up bromelain and see that what I'm saying here can be vouched for. Now, now you mentioned it's, an, yep. it's something we extract from pineapple. Yes. Will we get a decent amount by just... No, okay. no. It's very similar to bioflavonoids. Bioflavonoids occur in fruits and vegetables and great, but we can harness those substances in a concentrated form. Now, bromelain, the enzyme extracted from the pineapple, is a proteolytic enzyme. That is, it participates in the breakdown of protein, but it has a very complex spectrum of properties which ends up essentially asserting a very significant anti-inflammatory effect. Now, with sinusitis, you essentially have an inflammatory phenomenon occurring on the sinus mucous membrane that can be associated with infection. When bromelain is taken in the correct dosage, it asserts a well-known, well-documented and well-proven ability to help reduce that level of inflammation. And when taken ongoingly as a chronic supplement, taken on a daily basis, it will work prophylactically or preventatively eroding the inflammatory activity, building up the strength of the membrane and lessening, if you like, the, the, the cause of the symptoms of sinusitis, the inflammatory chemistry. Any chronic sinus sufferer, anyone out there that's going back regularly to their GP to get an antibiotic and ephedrine and things like that, please, please try bromelain, readily available from our good health food stores and from our pharmacies in the correct dosage as stipulated on the label. Go on to it, give it a chance to work. In my opinion, bromelain is one of the most important natural anti-inflammatory agents. And you might be surprised, and I'm sure other listeners would too, Mark, to know that bromelain frequently is blended with curcumin to provide a fantastic combination against the symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis because the two together, curcumin on its own, is poorly assimilated, blended with a synergist such as bromelain, and you get two anti-inflammatory agents, one working with the other, and you have a profound combination. In the, in the sinuses, however, bromelain is appended to another group of natural substances, which I'll speak about in a moment. But principle number one, remedy number one, for those people that make a regular B, uh, trail to their doctor for the next script of the, G, uh, of the antibiotic, please note bromelain, pineapple enzyme, a very safe agent as a very well-known and defined anti-inflammatory agent with an action systemically in the body, but very, very much active on the sinuses. Shell at East Maitland, you've got some thoughts for Dennis or Ron Dennis's thoughts on marijuana oil. Yeah, so I was um, just, um, I have MS, so I'm just wondering why is it such a problem for GPs to, to prescribe it and why... 
have, have the chemical companies or the people producing it change the molecules on the cannabinoid oil? Do you know? Uh, look, um, Jade, it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult question to address and one has to be very cautious in what one says. Uh, at this stage, uh, cannabis is still a prohibited substance uh, despite the fact that there is a growing, a growing interest and a growing realisation that the herb, and it is a herb, has profound and well-known medicinal or therapeutic properties. I, I have studied the herb, as you might expect, for very many years, and it might surprise, mm. might surprise listeners to know that the literature, the medical literature, the pharmaceutical literature, the pharmacopoeial literature is riddled with indications for tincture of cannabis, fluid extract of cannabis, etc., etc., etc. The problem, however, is a substance like this uh, can be abused, and you would be the first to acknowledge that. And, and so there's an argument to say that the abuse of cannabis leads to distressing conditions. And to be fair, I have, I have seen uh, where the abuse of cannabis has led to, to psychosis, and has pushed people over the edge. I've actually mm -hmm. seen that very close. Mm -hmm. uh, on, on the other hand, I, I wait and will promote a use of the herb under controlled medical uh, conditions for those conditions for which it is appropriate. I strongly support the legalisation of the herb to be used in its traditional form as an extract, a tincture or an oil, I strongly promote the use of it as a regulated substance that people could access genuinely without fear, uh, whether it be by script or from other sources, to address conditions for which it's being increasingly proved. So you've got me on side, but you can understand the dilemma of the GP, and I respect our GPs. I know many of them. I support them. Where would we be without them? But they are bound. They are bound to abide by the law. What happens, of course, is frequently a person will present to their medical practitioner and say, look, I am taking this preparation and I'm, I'm getting a benefit from it and the response might well be, and I know this for a fact, well, look, I can't recommend it, I can't prescribe it, but if you're getting benefit from it, that's your business. Now, it might interest you to know, and listeners might be interested to know this, might be very interested to know this, Last weekend, I attended a funeral of one of my relatives um, in, in, the, um, in the Maya Lakes region. And while I was there, I met a lady who is being managed um, by uh, medical people to the extent that she has a cancer. And this cancer was inoperable and was not treatable, so she tells me, by normal means. She's being monitored, monitored very compassionately, properly and empathetically. And she assured me that her specialist medical, medical managers knew that she was using what you have referred to here as oil of marijuana or marijuana oil or cannabis oil, which has been the only thing she claims that has seen some control of, of the tumour. And they have, whilst not uh, in any way at all uh, legitimatising it, essentially has said to her, well, we've got nothing to offer for it. If you're getting help from it, who are we to disagree with it? So I guess I'm saying uh, that there is a movement, there is a groundswell of understanding that 
whether authorities, governments, medical practitioners, whoever, whether they like it or not, people are accessing already the therapeutic preparations of cannabis and cannabis oil is one of those preparations. Unfortunately, many people are also being ripped off by the entrepreneurs, the charlatans, particularly when they're importing stuff from overseas, and there is a danger associated with that also. So my, my hope is my hope is that our authorities will look at what's going on with this particular preparation, see the benefits of it, bring in legislation that allows traditional preparations of the herb to be scripted and legally scripted and used and dispensed under controlled conditions. I wait for that day, but I understand why the GPs are reluctant to, have, to, to do anything other than give a nod when they know someone's taking it because it is still illegal to do so. Dennis, I guess for against, like it a lot, yeah. it, it's going to happen, isn't it? Oh, look, it's happening in the States now. True. It's happening in the States now. And I, I could talk all day about this because when I first started lecturing uh, many, many years ago at the, at the high point of the, of the counterculture, I would say, I would say that at least 10 to 15% of my students were using cannabis. Now, I have never used cannabis. I, can, I, I enjoy a drink, as you know. Uh, that's why I live in the Hunter Valley. But I've never used cannabis. But it was popularly used then. I didn't support it. It has not le- lost its popularity. And my view is, it's a view and it's an opinion. If we were to go down the pathway of legitimatizing it and regulating it, then a lot of the problems associated with the abuse of it might go. Some interesting thoughts, Dennis, and quickly heading to Merriweather with Trevor this afternoon. And Trevor, are you looking for some herbal medicines uh, to control cholesterol and type 2 diabetes? Yes, yes. Hello, Trevor. Hello, Dennis. How are you? I'm well indeed. I hope you weren't offended by my comments on, on cannabis and cannabis oil. Oh, I used to have some of them years ago, yeah. but not, not now. I agree. I agree. Uh, the reason I ask that is, years ago, I spoke on this topic at, a, at another radio station, and I received a, a, quite a number of abusive letters um, from people that claimed that I was promoting uh, an illegal drug. I, I'm not promoting it. All I'm saying is it's being used and there is a therapeutic use for it. It needs to be regulated. Getting back to your question, you're wanting to know if there's anything that might help control your cholesterol and type 2 diabetes. Look, there are a couple of things that, that, that I would mention. The first yes, Dennis, thing, can I just butt yeah, in for a minute? Yes, of course. Oh, around about eight years ago, yeah. I got diagnosed off my doctor with high cholesterol yes. and high glycerines. Yeah. Now, I started taking fish oil tablets yes. and uh, liver, liver tone shots. Yes, yes, yes. Now, it brought both, both them down to normal. Yes. And now I've been diagnosed with sugar diabetes type type okay. two. Okay. And I heard heard a while back you were saying uh, bitter melon yes. is good for them. Yes. I've started taking them in the last month or so. Okay. And I also take a one of them little aspirin pills. Doctor okay. said to take it to uh, thin me blood. Yes. yes. I knock that back to two a day. Yes. Now. What I want to know, is there any long-term effect about taking these things all the time? Well, keep in mind that bitter melon is a food. Um, so it's, it's you know, half of Asia daily eats bitter melon. It's just yeah. that we have never used it. It's, uh, I eat it. I had a, a patient of mine bring me in some beautiful bitter melons the other day, and, and my wife put it into a very, very nice 
uh, veg- vegetarian meal. But most Aussies have never seen uh, the, the, the vegetable. I call it a vegetable. Some call it a fruit, uh, let alone eat it. It's exceedingly bitter. So what we do in the West, we use, if you like, uh, preparations of it. And I, oh, had, yeah. I had a lot to do in developing the product uh, Bitter Melon Powder. And I have made that available to my uh, my patients, and I use it myself because I'm uh, t- uh, type two borderline. And bitter melon, as far as I'm aware, has no long term consequences at all because it is a food, and when used as a food, even though you're taking it in a powder form or an extract, it's still a food. And if you get on yeah. the net, if you get on the net and look at it, you will find just how popularly that preparation is used for one food to help control and fight against type 2. All right. Uh, what about me, uh, me liver shots and me fish oil, taking them over a long term? Okay. Look, those things, the, uh, fish oils, in my opinion, um, one of the best supplements you can take um, for multiple uh, uses. Fish oils in the right dose have been shown to be a useful supplement uh, for rheumatoid arthritis. Fish oils have been shown to be useful in, in moderately affecting uh, particularly low-density uh, lipoproteins. It works for good cholesterol if you like. I take uh, at least 6,000 milligrams of fish oil on a daily basis and have done for quite a long period of time. I can see no problem in taking those. They're a, they're a, a nutritional substance with multiple benefits. So, um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd go for it. Dennis, we've got to get through those second mm. and third prong attacks for sinus. Uh, what does natural medicine offer us? Look, I think we, we'll, we'll do it quickly um, because our time's going. We've mentioned bromelain, the pineapple enzyme, and its specific anti-inflammatory effect on the sinuses. Use it. Chronic sufferers use it. The second thing is there is a herb called fenugreek. Now, fenugreek is a culinary herb, and it's popularly used around the world as, as a food. Ah, but like many foods, like the bitter melon, fenugreek also has profound medicinal properties. And one of those medicinal properties is referred to as being anti-catarrhal. Now, catarrh is an old word. Anti-catarrhal means it addresses uh, mucousy conditions, uh, particularly uh, in the sinuses. So when we use fenugreek, what we are using fenugreek for as a capsule or as an extract particularly, capsules are probably the best way of taking it, is to, uh, to seek to lessen the production of mucus from the inflamed mucous membrane, working with bromelain as a second line of attack. In a sense, we'd refer to fenugreek technically and pharmacologically perhaps as being mucolytic, that means breaking down the mucus, or mucotropic, which means having a tonic effect on the mucous membrane, which reflects the health of the membrane by less discharge. So fenugreek, one of the cheapest of all herbs, even in an encapsulated form, taken in conjunction with bromelain, gives an anti-catarrhal benefit that asserts itself fairly, fairly promptly. That's, if you like, the second plank of the treatment. 
And the third plank of the treatment, I hope listeners are writing this down, this is worth a million dollars. I shouldn't be talking like this. I'm doing myself out of a job. But if, too late, too late. The third, the third. The thing is, Dennis, we're not going to be able to spell them, so we'll have to, we'll have to call you. The third plank of the treatment, and I'll be quick, listeners, because time's got away on us. Mark has wound me up today. He's so distracting. The third plank of the treatment is one which many, many listeners already use and vouch for it. It's one of the most popularly used remedies for the upper respiratory tract and particularly for chronic sinus infections and that's horseradish and garlic with vitamin C. Now people say oh that's very anecdotal there is no science associated with that. Well hang on if you look at garlic garlic contains an essential oil that essential oil which gives garlic its odour contains some well-known antibiotic characteristics which makes it a useful gentle antibiotic for addressing chronic recurring infections, particularly to lessen the drift towards stronger antibiotics. So with garlic in the horseradish and garlic preparation, you've got a well-known agent that fights bacterial infections. Ah, but why horseradish? Horseradish contains a group of chemical substances called mustard oil glycosides mustard oil glycosides. I lecture on them when I give my lectures to first-year students doing pharmacognosy. Now, mustard oil glycosides are, if you like, a vegetable antibiotic. They have also antibiotic characteristics, and the mustard oil glycosides in horseradish are particularly effective for upper respiratory tract infections, such as sinusitis, and also as an agent to address ongoing chronic urinary tract infections. So, That preparation, well-known, anecdotally very, very valuable, as the third member of the team, give to that trio a very strong, well-understood, gentle antibiotic action that, if taken in conjunction with the bromelain and the, the fenugreek, will provide very frequently just an antibiotic edge to the treatment that will lessen the assertion of more serious levels of infection and arguably break into the need to have recurrent strong antibiotics. There's the treatment. Uh, and make sure we're writing all of those down. Absolutely. Listeners, listeners, I've given you a mountain of information today. <laughs> all for nothing. All for nothing. <laughs> Just for our time. So, Dennis, I, I guess, as with the case with a lot of ailments, diet and, and food, what we yeah, put into our yeah. body can have an impact. Would that be also the case with sinus? Well, look, um, I have very many papers that I've read over the years And I was very impressed with a paper that was written by a British medical practitioner. This is going back many years. It was called The Cause and Cure of Qatar. Now, keep in mind, Qatar is an old term which refers to mucousy conditions, particularly of the upper respiratory tract and even perhaps uh, of the bronchial tree. The Cause and Cure of Qatar. I can't think of of the doctor's name, but... I hand it out to my patients and I give it across the counter to people that are interested in it because the contention of this British doctor was this, that a lot of what particularly people eat today based on refined carbohydrates, particularly cereals that are riddled with sugar and covered with milk, that that combination of dairy product, refined carbohydrate cereals for breakfast, milk and sugar, He argues pretty convincingly that this could be seen, if you like, as a contributing factor, particularly for those kids that we always see with a runny nose, 
kids that are always snotty, and in adults, kids that are always, or in adults, always getting infection. Now, I know that's contentious. I know many ENT blokes are laughing. This particularly everything I've said today. Well, hang on, I've been around for 40 years. You can still laugh at me. But my view is there's something in that, and this, might, this is really left field, and I know at times nearly gone. This is really left field. You usually find that that problem of the breakfast cereal with refined carbohydrate, sugar, and milk is very, very much more active in blonde, blue-eyed kids. Now, people will say, this guy's gone mad. But anyone that knows anything about constitutions from the art of iridology that has always been implicit in natural medicine know that the, that the sky-blue iris, particularly with what we call a lymphatic rosary, is an iris that predisposes to mucousy conditions which can be exacerbated or triggered off by that uh, program of too much refined carbohydrate as breakfast cereal, too much sugar, and and uh, and feed it with a heap of dairy product. Think about it. Something to think about. What about those like myself with green and gold? I've got green and gold coming through. Oh, there's no, no, no hope for you. No mate. hope? No, no, Alrighty. Hope no hope for you. We'll just very quickly head back to the uh, telephone this afternoon. And Julie at Mayfield, a question for Dennis about dermatitis on your hands. Hello, Julie. Um, I, yeah, my daughter, she has, when she has a shower, she comes out and her hands are white and she's in pain. Um, you know, it's, it's only happened in the last four months. How old's your daughter? Uh, she is uh, 15, going on 16. Okay. Does she have cold hands? Um, yeah, okay. yeah, cold hands. Look, Did, the, the, only, the only reason I'm raising that, and I have to be quick because our time is just about gone. I understand, so there, yep. is, there is a condition known as Raynaud's Syndrome. Now, Raynaud's mm-hmm. Syndrome can be characterised by cold hands due to poor circulation, and that mm-hmm. is sometimes evidenced by discoloration or paleness of the hands. What I'd be doing, okay. just don't shrug it off. Go to your GP, mm-hmm. mention yep. mention Raynaud's syndrome. It it probably isn't, but as a starting okay. as a starting base, factor that in. Have a yarn with your GP. Okay, cool. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very Bye. much, Julie, for all of that. And just a couple of quick loose ends before we go, Dennis. Uh, Robert from Wall's End rang while we were on the phone a moment ago. Uh-huh. Uh, back to cannabis again. His thoughts were the problem today is that the folks are using it uh, hydroponically grown with additives but not pure. Do you think that's going to make a difference? Oh, look, I do. I said at the beginning of the program, if this is to be legalised, the good side about it is it will lead to the cultivation of the herb properly, under regulation with strains of the herb that have been deliberately tailored to give standardised levels of the active, similar to the way in which we grow the opium poppy in Tasmania. Mm -hmm. So I think this gentleman's right. The way in which entrepreneurs have come in and pushed the herb to the point where it'll blow your head off uh, is way beyond what we're talking about here. Mm. Strains of the herb, scientifically developed, to give regular, regulated levels of actives, which then become the basis of legalised medications based on cannabis. And very finally, Dennis, uh, Eric gave us a call and he was uh, looking for the uh, uh, recipe last for the, you mentioned last week for type 2 diabetes, use of cinnamon. Do you recall that oh, from yes. last week? Oh, yes. Look, the, the, there's a little three-pronged approach that I frequently uh, 
mention for this, Eric. Um, bitter melon is always way up there, as I've mentioned earlier in the program. And then there's the, the Indian herb that's known as gymnema, G-Y-N-E-M-A, gymnema sylvestra, probably the most popularly uh, used medicinal herb in South Asia to address this problem. And more recently, a, a small amount of cinnamon has, has been promoted so a teaspoonful of it on a daily basis used on one's coffee perhaps, a teaspoonful of cinnamon has also been seen to be a useful uh, third member of that little trio that may work well in lessening the development of type 2. Any of these things always must be fed on to your healthcare practitioner, particularly to your GP, so that he or she can monitor the improvement that we would like to see coming from bitter melon Gymnema sylvestra and a regular use of cinnamon. Who'd have thought, Dennis? A teaspoon of cinnamon is going to make the medicine go. No, oh, that's no. You are getting clever every week. <laughs> All right, Dennis. Have a great weekend. We'll catch you next Friday for Health Naturally. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Two NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business, and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.